Hi everyone, this is Janice, your neighborhood nutritionist. I've spent the last couple of years helping busy office professionals upgrade their health through upgrading their nutrition. And one thing was very obvious. Nobody's got time to read up on all the scientific stuff to know fact from fiction. So each week, I will talk to you about a different topic or concept in nutrition in simple, everyday terms, so you are empowered to make the best nutritional decisions. Get ready to learn about some new stuff, gain new insights into old concepts, and super boost your health. Okay, so today... I've got Jillian, an emotional eating coach with me on the podcast. Welcome, Jillian, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So although, you know, I introduce you as an emotional eating coach, we're actually going to touch on the topic of nutrition in pregnancy because you are how far along now? So I'm nine months pregnant now. Yep. And I've gained about 21 pounds, which is roughly nine and a half kilos. Mm -hmm. So for most women, when they hear that, their jaws kind of drop. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, and and it's just, it's it's a quite low number to have gained in nine months for pregnancy. I think a Mm -hmm. lot of women um, tend to gain more like 30 to 50 and sometimes up to 70 pounds. Um, And so a lot of people are are shocked and, and some are even a little concerned of like, you know, are you gaining enough? Are you, you know, are you trying to avoid gaining weight? Are you trying to lose weight? So there have been a lot of questions and, and some just genuine concern around that. Um, But it's all been very healthy. And so, yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this because I think there are a lot of misconceptions in the prenatal space around, you know, how much weight should I gain? How much is too much? And then kind of fears that we can have around gaining the weight and having to lose it later. So, so yeah, so I'm so excited to, to get to talk about this and shed some light on, on such a tricky topic. Yeah. And I mean, we are cutting it close a little bit with your due date. So <laughs> I'm just yeah. so glad we caught you just in time for this. And hopefully, you know, once your baby's arrived and we can maybe even do a follow-up on postnatal nutrition. Absolutely. Because it's so valuable to have someone actually going through it firsthand to share their experience and, you know, what you've learned. Um, So I guess before we really step into the pregnancy nutrition area, do you want to tell us how you came to become a coach? Yes. So it's definitely been a journey of trial and error is what I like to say. Um, So I was right after college. um, So I graduated in 2008 with a degree in international relations and Russian. And my thought originally was, you know, I'm going to work for the state department, then I'll work for the federal government. And, you know, the 2008, 2009 economy around the world just kind of collapsed and really imploded. And so I, I was really struggling at that point. I tried working in the gym because I was into health and fitness. Um, and was a personal trainer, group fitness instructor, just wasn't quite satisfied. And so I moved to Bangladesh. Uh, My parents, my mom works for the State Department. And so I had originally gone over with the intention of working in the embassy. Well, once I got into the country... The, the State Department went on a hiring freeze. And so now I had maxed out my credit card to get there. I had no money, no job. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> right? One of those like quarter life crisis questions that we kind of get to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so as I started just trying to fill my time, I just started baking. I, try, I was trying new recipes. And one day my dad was in the kitchen and he was like, you know, you ought to get people to pay you for this. And it was like a switch had flipped and Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, 
I should get people to pay me for this. You know, like it seemed like such a normal, um, like this should have crossed my mind by now, but it didn't. Um, and so I, I decided to pursue a, a bakery. So I, I started a home-based bakery in Dhaka, Bangladesh, and I ran that from 2010 to 2012. And, and so for those two years, I became known as the cake lady. So I did a lot of cakes, cupcakes. Um, I did a, a lot of catering for different events. Um, I did events for the United Nations, the World Bank, USAID, um, other foreign governments, um, birthdays, weddings, celebrations, things like that. And I, I often got asked, you know, kind of about two things, or there were two core uh, comments I tended to get. Number one was, wow, you're a lot younger than I expected <laughs> because I was only 24. Um, and then the second one was, how are you not 300 pounds? <laughs> like, how are you not overweight? How are you so thin and you run this bakery? And, and you know, a lot of people chalked it up to, well, you're young, you have a fast metabolism. There were a lot of excuses that were given as to why I was so healthy, but there were, I'd say there were two kind of core, core reasons. Number one was when you're surrounded by cookies, cake, brownies, like things are always available. There was no need to binge on it mm. because it was always going to be there. You know, I didn't have to worry about, mm -hmm. um, because there was, and so because there was no restriction, there was then no binging or no overeating. I didn't have to overconsume it because I knew I could have it the next day and the day after that and the day after that. It was like, there was always something there. Uh, but at the same time, I also had a lot of fear around carbs and sugar and fat at that time. And so, um, you know, I was over-reliant on exercise and deathly afraid of like carbs and sugar. And so while I could have a little bit, I was also quite restrictive mm -hmm. in my own thinking about don't have too much, don't gain the weight, you know, like, because you're not good at losing weight. You know, there was, there were a lot of stories I was telling myself to where it was a very interesting balance of making all these foods and yet not eating them myself. Um, and so it, it, progressed over time. And so when it came back to the US, I, I knew I wanted to have my own business because I really enjoyed that. But I also recognized my cake decorating skills were like, not ace of cake status, like I was not that great. <laughs> so I was like good for DACA, but I was not necessarily, it was not the, the type of business I wanted. That all sounds so familiar, because everybody who knows me knows that I am the chief baker, uh, uh -huh. right at the office. I am the person who brings in my triple chocolate brownies. <laughs> I would always make um, over here in the UK, you know, we love mince pies around uh -huh. Christmas. I would always be the person who brings stuff in, but I don't have a sweet tooth. Uh -huh. I just don't eat them. Yeah. So it's a similar thing where I'm the feeder. Right. And people are always like, well, you're making all of us put on weight right. and you're not eating any of it. <laughs> right. Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> and 100%, I, I also used to be a lot more restrictive in terms of, you know, sugar intake and anything to do with carbs. But I think this definitely also came from, I guess, fear mm -hmm. in a way, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. of what, what would happen if I did it. Right. So I realized that I, I wanted to run my own business, but I knew it wasn't going to be a physical location. So at the time, my husband, um, well, I was engaged and then we got married. My husband was an active duty Marine. So we were in the military. He was deployed. He would go temporarily diff to different locations. And I knew that we would never be located in one place for long. And so to have to, to, to try to set up a bakery, uh, you know, in a physical shop mm. was very challenging when the thought is, you know, well, in two years, we're going to move locations. And so 
so for me, I realized what I really wanted was like a laptop business. My dream was to be able to go to Thailand for like three months during the winter Mm -hmm. and work from Thailand and have like a workcation, you know, like that's really what I wanted. And so I started to experiment in different, different fields, um, in business and marketing. Um, I started to get more into kind of social media and and coaching in that realm. And I loved working one-on-one with clients, but I found that the marketing wasn't quite satisfying. Like that was maybe a zone of excellence. It wasn't my zone of genius though. And so in 2018, Mm -hmm. I shifted gears and I really pivoted into more health coaching just because I had, it was kind of interesting. I ended up attracting a lot of marketing and business coaching clients who were health coaches themselves. And so often Mm -hmm. they had such bullshit tactics and like things that I did not believe in. (laughs) And I was like, I, I don't know how I can like genuinely and authentically help Mm -hmm. this person sell their juice detox that I think is complete BS. Like I, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. I want to help them. I want to serve them as best as I can, but I think it's total crap what they're trying to sell and like not actually helpful. And so I realized like, you know what, I've got such strong opinions about this. I need to go into this space myself. Like I need to get out of the the business Mm -hmm. marketing and actually get into more of the the health coaching weight loss aspect. And as I did that, made that transition and I did my life coaching and health coaching certification, I also recognized, wow, like I have a fairly unhealthy relationship to food. And and I, you know, like I started to see different habits and patterns um, with my own emotional eating and for me, that was a, an indicator that I still had some work to do on myself. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just a simple eat this, not that, or just avoid these bad foods that I really wanted to understand. Like, why do I keep reaching for food when I'm not hungry? Why is that it that, you know, the clock mm-hmm. strikes 3 p.m. and I'm looking for a snack or every evening I'm, you know, rummaging through the fridge or the pantry, you know, trying to find something. And so it really helped me in my own journey as now I'm helping others in theirs. And so that's that's kind of like the long, <laughs> the long version. It's a, it's, you know, very windy road. Uh, but I feel like this is what I'm called to do and to really speak mm you know, speak truth into a very noisy world that is full of a lot of tactics and get skinny quick schemes and, you know, and just frankly diets that do not help and do not work. And so I think we, you know, we have such similar philosophies and I, and I love that because we Mm -hmm. need more people out there who are not going to keep trying these, you know, to push these juice fasts and detoxes and, or 90 day shreds or, you know, things like that, um, which I think they have the best of intentions, I just think they're doing it wrong. <laughs> when I was uh, when I was a teenager, probably I would buy you know Cosmopolitan magazine mm. and follow the twenty eight day bikini abs. Yeah, and it would never work. Right, and it just never worked until I actually looked at my nutrition and actually went to train in the gym mm-hmm. like a normal person, mm-hmm. and then it came right. Um, no, but I'm, that was a really inspirational transformation. I think from. In, like in your own words, you know, you were a little bit in a crisis mode when you were 24. What should I be doing? And then now you've completely transformed into someone who's just out to help people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's why I invited you on my podcast, because yeah. I think we do have very similar views on nutrition and, and how to, I guess, general well-being. So going into the topic of today's episode, um. I guess it makes sense to talk about prenatal, you know, go chronologically. So a question that I've heard, you know, people around me um, 
talk about is how far in advance do you actually need to get your body ready if you want to get pregnant at some point? Mm -hmm. So I'd say on average, it's going to be around six months is a great time period to start prepping your body for getting pregnant. And it depends on, um, you know, if you are obese or you're severely overweight and you are looking to lose 50 to 100 pounds, you're probably going to want to give yourself more like 12 months um, to get to a healthy weight to Mm -hmm. where you can have a healthy pregnancy. Um, If you uh, are just trying to prep your body and you're not, you know, you're not very overweight, then in that three to six month range is, is going to be ideal. And so what you want to focus on are going to be kind of two things. So number one is going to be the habits. So really this is a time to start to build in those habits that you want to have during pregnancy. So like sleeping to seven, seven to nine hours every single night, drinking, you know, drinking Mm -hmm. water. So I recommend drinking 65 ounces or roughly two liters of water a day. You know, if you're only drinking one liter, give yourself a month to work up to that two liters. You know, don't start thinking like, oh, well, I got to drink two liters tomorrow because that's what Jillian said. You know, it's no, let's let's start to add in incrementally and start to, you know, work your way up. So I typically drink like four liters of water a day and that's just plain mm-hmm. water, like coffee, tea, sparkling water, things like that are on top of that. So, you know, really building these habits to where it becomes second nature is going to be extremely helpful because those are going to be the habits you want to carry over into pregnancy as well. Um, Some other habits might be like reducing your alcohol intake, um, reducing caffeine, you know, starting to cut back. One of the biggest challenges I think women have is going from drinking, you know, five or six cups of coffee a day and two glasses of wine every night to now they're like, now I can't have anything, you know, and they try to go, it's like mm-hmm. that all or nothing. And they can feel really, re- you know, really restricted. And they tend to have more, um, more side effects can get headaches or withdrawal symptoms because they're doing these drastic mm-hmm. shifts. And so by giving yourself that time to work in these habits, it allows you to, to build that into your routine and to feel good about it too, and to kind of weaning back and taking those baby steps. So the habit aspect is one, and then really giving yourself like three to six months to strengthen your core and your pelvic floor muscles. So once you, you know, once you get beyond your first trimester, your belly is just going to stretch. You're not really going to be able to Mm -hmm. strengthen those muscles at that point. Um, You just want to allow them to be relaxed and to stretch for the baby's growth. Um, So the time before pregnancy is actually really critical. So yoga, Pilates, doing planks, you know, it's not necessarily crunches, <laughs> you know, it's going to be other movements um, and really strengthening the core to prepare for, you know, the, what, what your body is going to be going through during labor and delivery, mm-hmm. um, as well as then your pelvic floor, which runs from the, the top of your pelvic bone all the way back through your genitals to your tailbone. So those are your pelvic floor muscles. So working on um, strengthening those. And, uh, and so most people think of like kegels, you know, as like different mm-hmm. exercises yeah. to do, which those are great. Yeah. Um, but again, other yoga and Pilates uh, movements can be really helpful too. So it doesn't have to be, um, you know, anything serious or intense, but just getting into the habit of, you know, I move my body, I strengthen my core every day, like building up those habits is what's really going to be important. So maybe a tiny um, sidebar here, because I know, you know, we're talking about nutrition, but you have obviously a lot of knowledge and experience around fitness as well. Have you heard of people say that it's actually not as good if you have a lot of abs? you know, for pregnancy, because it's kind of, I guess, restrictive or 
you know, because I've also seen people who are heavily pregnant still with abs on top of their belly visible. So there's nothing wrong with that. And actually my midwife, um, just last month, she had made a comment. She was like, wow, I just can't get over your ab muscles. <laughs> and I was, I just kind of laughed because I was like, you can still see them. Like, <laughs> I feel like there's nothing, like, it's just the baby now. I feel like I don't have ab muscles, but no, it's actually been very beneficial. Um, and it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and as the, as the uterus is going to contract during labor, um, it's using those ab muscles. And so the stronger they are, then the more effective. Mm. they are. So instead of having like a long, slow process, you can have a more, uh, like ideally you would have a, a quicker labor and delivery. Um, and, and so having more ab muscles is not a bad thing. Um, you certainly don't need six pack abs in order to prepare for baby, mm-hmm. but really, um, you know, getting into the point where you're strengthening that, um, and then just being mindful of, you know, the, the different positions and things that you're doing, um, as you're pregnant and as your belly does grow and get bigger and, you know, and recognizing like, I, you know, I can't really see my abs, but, but they're still there and they'll come back so much faster as well after, after baby. And I guess while we're on the topic of exercise, um, I know that especially, you know, I grew up in Asia and, Mm -hmm. It's not only Chinese people, right? I've, I've got Indian friends as well who tell me traditionally they prefer women, you know, when they're pregnant to basically not do anything mm-hmm. because exercising could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. So what's your view on that? And what kind of, you know, I guess lightweight exercises would you actually recommend to pregnant women? Mm-hmm. So most ex- most um, physicians, midwives, naturopaths are going to recommend that you maintain the same activity level that you had prior to pregnancy. So if you were walking, um, you can continue walking. If you were doing yoga, Pilates, dance classes, like you can still do those so long as you feel good. If you were doing absolutely nothing, you should not start CrossFit. <laughs> you know, while you're pregnant, right? Like that's, <laughs> okay. don't start something that you haven't done before. Um, I tend to lift, mm-hmm. you know, two to three times a week prior to, to baby. And now through the pregnancy, I've still been lifting about one to two times per week because my body's familiar with that. Um, so I do squats, deadlifts, um, ch- you know, chest press. And I, it's, it's modified a little bit now as I've, my, belly has gotten bigger and there's more strain on my mm-hmm. lower back. So there are some modifications that I do, but I mm-hmm. still maintain the same activity level basically. And then I started to add in yoga three times a week. Um, even if mm-hmm. it's just a 20 minute session, just to get in some good stretching, especially for your lower back, your hips, it's really, um, really helpful there. So if you haven't been doing a lot of exercise and you, the exercise, you know, moving your body in a way that feels fun is going to be another piece to do in that, you know, prenatal period. And then once you are pregnant, walking is good. Um, you know, 20 to 30 minutes a day is great. Um, and it's just being mindful that you don't get overheated. You don't allow your heart rate to go up too high. So while, um, you know, I, I tend to stay away from more hit workouts that really try to spike your, Mm -hmm. your heart rate. Um, but also recognize that, yeah, my heart rate's going to climb a little bit when I'm, you know, if I'm doing a light jog or if I'm lifting weights, um, you know, towards the end of the session, something like that. So, it just reminded me, you know, some of the things you hear when you're, I guess, earlier on in the pregnancy. Is there any danger or risk to doing any kind of jumping? No. 
So your, your body, like your uterus, is designed to keep the baby safe. It is designed to reduce impact, to make sure that like, and this has been a concern for some women who have like toddlers and the toddler will run and like headbutt them in the stomach, you know, like mm. they're just playing, yeah. but they're, you know, and they can kind of freak out a little bit and it's completely normal to have that response or to have that mm-hmm. fear because we're very protective already. Um, but there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, it, with running in the early stages of pregnancy, that's more of an old wives really? tale that, um, that it can increase your chances of miscarriage. Um, so I had a miscarriage Mm. last year in September and it's, you know, 90% of them are not to any fault of the woman. It was nothing as to what she was doing or eating or drinking or anything. It's just a chromosomal abnormality to where there was some kind of defect between the sperm and the egg and the fetus just was not viable. So there's nothing, um, there's, there's often nothing that you could have done to prevent it, which, I, I think for a lot of women who go through that, we, we feel a lot of guilt, at least initially of, well, mm. what did I do wrong? And when you have people in your family who maybe are asking, well, what did you, well, what did you do wrong? Or insinuating that yeah. you did something to cause this. Um, but that's, that's more older thinking. So like my grandfather had made a comment like, well, maybe you shouldn't be working out or, you know, maybe you overdid it in the gym <laughs> and he has good intentions. Mm. He's just not up to date on his you know, <laughs> pregnancy, uh, understanding and, and where we're at with science today. I think that's such an important thing you brought up there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of women would feel so much better after hearing that, mm-hmm. you know, that we do tend to have a blame culture mm-hmm. when it comes to our health, Yeah, especially around food. I'm sure we'll, we'll come to that in a bit. Um, what are the most common misconceptions around nutrition that you've heard? So I know the basic things of don't eat sushi, you know, mm-hmm. raw, raw things or unpasteurized things. Uh, but have you heard of any other interesting misconceptions around food? So, yeah, so there have been several. And actually, sushi, bring up sushi is actually a great, a great one because um, raw fish is not always a no-go when you're pregnant. So it depends on how, okay. how, um, how you feel eating it, like how comfortable you feel with this. Um, but eating, uh, one serving of like sushi of raw fish, especially if it's salmon or, you know, like it's not tuna, it's not going to be high in mercury. Your body is actually going to be okay with that. And with the way that, um, things are, prepared, how it's preserved, we really have a very low, um, there, there's a low risk associated with that because the whole issue with sushi is that it could contain contaminants and you get food poisoning from it. That's really the issue. And then you could get dehydrated. Like the, those are more of the ripple effects of it, but you could get, I mean, that could happen from like a kale salad or a hamburger or, you know, kind of any other thing. Um, and so it really comes down to your comfort levels with it. And then, um, for me personally, I wouldn't do more than you know, like one sushi roll per week, I would just limit that intake. Um, but there are no severe, significant impacts on your health. And there, you're going to find doctors, physicians, people with varying, you know, opinions on this specific topic. And so it's really about like eating the foods that you feel nourish your body and that you feel comfortable and not anxious overeating. You know, like if you're going to feel a lot of anxiety eating that sushi roll, mm. leave it be because that spike in your cortisol and stress levels are not going to be healthy for the baby. So, you know, like keep that in mind as well. Um, but another one is, is often, you know, well, I'm eating for two. 
So I have to double up my portions or I have to eat, yeah. you know, significantly more. And, and we end up using this often as an excuse or a justification to eat beyond just feeling satisfied. And so we often think, well, we need more food than what we really do. So throughout your pregnancy, you're going to need maybe an extra three to 500 calories. And especially in the beginning, you really don't need that much more food, if any at all. So it might look like Mm -hmm. a handful of almonds. That's it, right? Like you really don't Mm -hmm. need that much more. Um, And so this idea of I'm eating for two, it kind of leads us into this misconception of like, well, baby wants a cupcake. Or, you know, like baby wants this and we use, we use the baby to justify some of the bad habits. Maybe, um, I think women also overestimate how many carbohydrates they need, uh, for the most part throughout pregnancy, you don't need a ton of carbohydrates. Your body needs more like vegetables and fiber, protein and fat. And so having one serving of carbohydrates at every meal is great, but you don't need to eat like pancakes and potatoes and cereal and, you know, like, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so I always say, you know, no naked carbs. So whenever I have carbs, I always want to make sure mm-hmm. I'm pairing it with a protein, fat and fiber. Yeah. So if it's a piece of toast, I want to make sure I have like eggs and, you know, some kind of vegetable, maybe some turkey bacon, that it's more of a whole, whole meal, um, versus just having like carbs alone. So, so those are a couple of big ones. Um, a lot of times for most women in the United States, anyways, we, we are so used to dieting and we are chronic dieters to where mm-hmm. when, when we get pregnant, it's like now this free for all. And it's like, I can eat whatever I want, or I'm going to gain weight anyway. So who cares? I'm just going to stuff my face or, you know, like this is my one chance to eat the food, or I'm going to have to restrict this when I lose the baby weight. So better enjoy it now. You know, we have a lot of different thoughts and ideas around what we can and can't eat prior to pregnancy that a lot of times it, it just becomes this big excuse to, to eat whatever we want. And we kind of go the opposite direction of like, well, now everything is fair game. Um, and, and that's, that's where we can get into trouble because then we're, we're often not listening to our body. We're eating when we're not hungry, we're overeating at meals. Um, and, and it's just, it develops more negative habits that are going to be harder to break. So I know a lot of my friends went through the very typical nausea mm-hmm. in the first trimester. Um, what actually causes that? And are there any foods that you would recommend you know, because with, with being nauseous mm-hmm. or if you actually start vomiting, you will be dehydrated and mm-hmm. some people even lose weight. So what would be your recommendations around tackling that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's very common, especially if you are vomiting to lose weight in the first trimester. Don't freak out. It, it is totally normal. Um, and it, it, so, it, it, yep, yeah, you're right. You want to look at dehydration and make sure that you're getting in enough water um, as well as looking at other kind of sports drinks like Gatorade, Powerade, Pedialyte, looking at ways of replenishing your, the nutrients in your body, um, or Propel is another one. Um, for me in the first trimester, the taste of like regular water was terrible. I hated it. So I made sure I did lemon water and then I would drink like some crystal light lemonade occasionally or Propel or the Gatorade or Powerade zero. Um, and really not, not judging yourself for that, but recognizing, you know what, my body is in a very weird place right now and that's okay. Like I'm going to do what I can to get in the fluids that I need. And so a lot of times the nausea has been associated with the HC, HC, 
G hormone, which is human chorionic gonadotropin. I can't even pronounce the, the last word, quite honestly. That's the hormone, though, the HCG. <laughs> Um, that one is often typically associated with the nausea or the morning sickness. Um, I had that pretty severe for my second month and it was all day. So there was like no relief for Mm. four weeks and it was rough. And at that point I was just thinking, I just got to survive. Like (laughs) that's, I'm just in survival mode. And so it was really about listening to my body. Um, I uh, had a lot of food aversions. I haven't had many food cravings. It was more of everything that I had been eating previously, like all the vegetables and proteins and everything, like sounded terrible. Like I did not want broccoli and Brussels sprouts and cauliflower rice and and all of my normal foods. And so it, it more became an issue of, okay, can I get in one vegetable today? That's it. I normally eat like six, Mm -hmm. seven servings a day. And I was just, I was down to one. I was like, can I just get in some carrots? You know, like what can I do to get in a little bit of something? You know, can I get in some, some cucumbers today? Uh, Looking at kind of that baseline of like, all right, how do I get my body the nutrients it needs while recognizing that Mm -hmm. I feel terrible. And so that was also when, um, I would, I, I probably, you know, more crackers or crackers and cheese, um, a little more cereal at that point. Um, and just really giving yourself grace and compassion and trying to eat foods that will calm your stomach and get as much in as you can, um, and in smaller amounts. So instead of eating, um, every like four to five hours, I was eating maybe one to two hours and eating a little more consistently and a much smaller portion. So more just kind of snacking throughout the day. Um, and everybody's going to be a little bit different. Um, this is when like the no naked carbs rule kind of goes out the window and it's, (laughs) you know, it's more of like eat what you can. And if it's just a, you know, Mm. a, a piece of toast or bagel and cream cheese or something like that, you know, eat what you can and recognize that this will pass. Um, you know, it might take a few weeks, hopefully it's not more than, you know, two months, but, but really just try to work with your body as much as you can and, and get it Mm -hmm. in as much, you know, as much protein as you possibly can, um, given the, you know, food aversions that you might be feeling, um, uh, protein shakes can be a good option too, for some women who feel like they, they don't want to eat meat or they just, can't, you know, stomach the thought of certain foods. That can be another way. Um, shakes, smoothies, ways that you can get in some spinach with the fruit and, um, you know, still get the, your body, the nutrients it needs, making sure you've got a really good prenatal vitamin, um, and prenatal and Unisom, um, in the evening, um, was recommended to me to help with nausea. I don't think it actually helped me personally. Maybe, maybe one of the listeners will, will try it and, and it'll help them. Um, and, and, you know, it's really just going to be about uh, just kind of getting through it as best as you can and trying to set up your your surroundings and situation and support uh, to help you through this period as you're probably not going to want to be doing as much, you know, hire out the cleaning, you know, have somebody help you with your pets if you have them, you know, look at how if you can scale back on work hours or what options look like for that. You mentioned nutrients and certain supplements. So I've heard of things like folic acid being a very key element that you need to incorporate in your diet. And what's your view on, you know, is it actually necessary to take additional supplements for pregnancy or can you actually achieve that through a normal diet? So because baby needs so much and it's pulling so much from you, especially in the second and third trimester, I really recommend supplementation for most people. 
Um, I think it's best if you do a blood test, though, in each of your trimesters to really identify where you're at currently and what areas you may be deficient in. That way you're not just randomly increasing certain doses. Um, but I would say um, folate is one. So folic acid is just a synthetic form of folate. So folate is going to be a, um, a great nutrient and vitamin that your body needs. You can get this in a lot of vegetables. So broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, again, all the foods that I really did not want to be eating in that first trimester. Um, fruit, like grapefruit, oranges, avocados, eggs, nuts, legumes. So especially if you have a lot of food aversions or you're feeling really nauseous, supplements can really be helpful at that time because you're not getting mm -hmm. in the, the typical foods that maybe you would have be eating normally. Um, so folate is a big one. Calcium, iron, and DHA are another two that are really important. So I take a prenatal vitamin. Um, I take a separate iron supplement as well as D a separate DHA supplement. Mm -hmm. um, and that's after having worked with a naturopath and recognizing that um, my body was a little deficient in iron. And while I had really good iron usage, my iron storage, um, which is called ferritin, was kind of low. And so we started on that as well as um, I also am eating red meat every single day for at least one meal. I'm incorporating that. And then we found that even though, even though I've added this supplementation, that number kept going down, which we wanted it to go up. And so then it was, okay, let's increase that dosage to two. So blood work can really help and give you a clearer picture of where you're starting at and where you should be. Um, so I have loved working with a naturopath because a lot of physicians from what I found have, they've been helpful, but a lot of times there's such a wide range for what normal looks like that they're like, Oh, mm -hmm. you're in the range. You're fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. when really a naturopath is going to be like, Oh, well, you're in this range and you might fit this, but you're a little high or you're a little low, or here's where I think you, you know, we can improve it. Um, I also have 23 in me. Um, I have the genetic, you know, data and history and everything. Um, I was able to send her my raw data and she could pull out specific genetic variations that I had in my own mm. body that made certain supplements harder or easier to um, to absorb and to, to get the nutrients that I needed. So it made it easier to, to identify what form of B12 I needed, what form of iron was going to be best. She noticed mm. that I have a gluten sensitivity and she said, you know, you may not have any issues now, but if you, if you want to maintain not having issues, I suggest you cut back on gluten and you start eating more gluten-free. Um, and so it's, again, we can learn so much about our own individual bodies that can be so helpful um, but those, I would say the calcium, folate, iron, and DHA are going to be some of the top supplements that I would recommend in addition to a really high quality prenatal vitamin. That's really good advice. And I'm assuming, especially for vegetarian and vegan mums-to-be, it's especially important with the iron. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yep. And then protein maybe as well for them. So it could be adding in like a protein shake or um, mm. making sure that they're getting in enough um, you know, healthy forms of protein and fat, not just soy, but getting in different forms of that. So you may do, you know, whey or you can do pea plant, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of getting in more variety is also going to be helpful. And let's talk about hormones a little bit. So mm -hmm. I don't know if this is true, but I imagine that your hormones are all over the place throughout the 40 weeks. Is that true? Do they vary? 
It depends on the person. <laughs> so for me, I haven't, I, I don't think I've had like very many mood swings, if any at all. So what would irritate me prior to pregnancy irritates me now, but probably <laughs> at the same degree, you know? Okay. Um, I would say sometimes my patience is a little low, but prior to pregnancy, sometimes my patience was a little low anyways, you know? Um, so I, I haven't felt that, but it's totally normal if you do, you know, it's, it's completely normal if you do feel, um, big mood swings where one moment you are enraged and then the next moment, moment you're crying. Um, I remember trying a, a birth control years ago. This was probably like 2014 and they gave me a synthetic form, which I was really at like opposed to, but the doctor wouldn't, wouldn't give me the name brand. So I ended up switching doctors later, but I, I took this, I started taking this birth control for a couple of days and I, and like, I had really bad mood swings, really like terrible, like anger, rage. I was like yelling <laughs> at the Walmart pharmacist and then crying like the next moment it was, yeah, it was awful. Um, and so sometimes like the synthetic hormones for some women can increase that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when you get pregnant, you may not see that kind of change right. because it is more natural. Um, but, but it is completely normal. And your body is built to kind of, you know, take in all the changes, right? Right, right. So I guess, Jillian, before we finish, um, can you give us three actionable steps for our expecting listeners or listeners who are simply interested or might be thinking of getting pregnant at some point? Yes, absolutely. So number one is going to be sleep. This is one of the best things. Sleep will help regulate your cravings. When you get even one less hour of sleep at night, you are 30% more hungry and 20% less satisfied. So you are, whether you are pregnant or not, you are more irritable, you have higher cravings, you want to snack and crunch and munch, um, you're going to be you know, way more moody and your body will not reset those hormones until you go back to sleep. And so it's something where sometimes a nap can help um, for some people. Other times you just have to like <laughs> suck it up and get through the day and just go to bed a little bit earlier. So really hitting that seven to nine nine hour window and really finding what's best for your body. You know, um, how are you asleep? <laughs> I am, I am good at sleeping, but I am terrible at napping. Mm-hmm. If I had an afternoon nap, I'll wake up feeling really hot and flustered and just really annoyed mm, and just in a bad mood. Yeah. So naps are not good for me. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep is, is so essential. And for me, I can't do power naps. Like I don't know who can fall asleep for 20 Mm -hmm. minutes and wake up feeling refreshed, but I need like an hour, an hour and a half. Like that's when I really feel good. Um, and even sometimes then I wake up and I still feel kind of groggy and, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's really about learning your body and what works best for you. Um, but sleep is going to be so, so important. Um, that's when your body's going to repair itself. It's also when your body's going to burn fat. And when you're pregnant, it's when you, you're, you're helping to really build this little baby. So, so really prioritizing sleep would be my number one recommendation. Um, number two is just a simple philosophy of eat when you're hungry, stop when you're satisfied. It seems simple, but it doesn't always feel easy in the moment, especially when you're like, oh, but this tastes so good. Or hey, it's free, you know, like free donuts in the break room. Like (laughs) it doesn't matter if I'm hungry or not. It's free. Who turns down free food? 
or to throw away those like three bites of, you know, your salad or, you know, something that you're eating because you're thinking, well, I don't want to waste it. And so we have a lot of these excuses and justifications that kind of steer us out of that. Um, But really focusing on eating when you're hungry and especially when you're pregnant, like this is a great time to dial in to your body's natural hunger cues. So really understand like your body will tell you girl, you got to (laughs) eat. Like it is time. And your body's also going to tell you when it's had enough. And so slowing down can help you with that as well so that you're not overly full at the end. Um, But really finding that window to where you're, you're eating for true physical hunger and you're identifying what it is. Like if you're not truly hungry, like why do I want this food? What am I feeling instead? And it's a great question to ask is like, am I hungry? And if the answer is no, to be like, okay, why do, why am I reaching for this? Why do I want food? What, what is it that I'm trying to avoid or what am I trying to achieve with this? Um, so that's, Mm. that's number two, and that can help all listeners, no matter what you're doing. Um, and number three is, is patience, practice patience with yourself, patience with your body, patience with the time, you know, throughout pregnancy, and then also patience with, you know, postpartum and the weight loss process. Um, oftentimes we get, we find ourselves getting like roped into these fad diets or these get skinny quick schemes or, you know, things that, um, that really we, we want the outcome because ultimately we want to feel a certain way. I want to feel proud and confident and sexy again, or I, I, I feel like I'll be more loved or appreciated or valued if I have a certain body or shape or weight. Um, and so really giving yourself the patience to let your body mm-hmm. recover naturally on its own. There's no right or wrong, whether it takes you, you know, three months to get your body back or it takes you a full year, you know, really giving yourself that grace and compassion um, the patience is probably the number one skill I am still working on and the number one skill I wish that I could give my clients as well. That's like really, really good advice. And I think especially on your last point, you know, I hear about, you know, women who I guess in anticipation of the recovery and getting back into their pre-pregnancy shape, you know, they'll then try their best to avoid putting on any weight at all and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of losing sight of the big picture. And, I would think, look, this took, you know, your new body took nine months and a whole other human to create. Yeah, right. So take it easy on yourself. I mean, get back into your normal health routines and, you know, be healthy and be well, but don't rush yourself into suddenly turning into the next fitness star. Right, right, exactly. Because, yeah, yeah. And I'm so yeah. excited to, to do a postpartum uh, podcast with you as well, mm. because there's so much around this topic and really allowing your body time to heal and not comparing yourself to celebrities who, you know, seem mm-hmm. to be back in the in shape within like four weeks after baby and thinking, well, I should do that too. Or why can't I or feeling a lot of shame or guilt around that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm super excited to talk about that. I mean, these people either have a whole in-house team of yep. health specialists, right, or they're just wearing good spanks, right? <laughs> so, right. Or both. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time today. And again, you know, this is a question that I ask all my guests who come onto my podcast. What is the one food that always takes you to your happy place? Frozen yogurt. 
<laughs> that is my, like, I, I used to call it like my quote guilty pleasure. Um, but mm. I don't feel guilty for it. You know, it's something that I plan and I have it a couple times a week and I, I enjoy it. And when there are flavors, like the, usually the, the shop near me, it'll rotate through flavors. And, you know, I haven't been there in a couple of weeks just because like, I haven't really liked the flavors that they offered, you know? So it's something that I really um, make sure that I enjoy it on a scale of like one to 10. It's got to be like a nine or a 10, you know, I'm not going to eat it if it's like a, meh, that was okay. But typically frozen yogurt um, kind of has a nostalgic feeling, I think, as you know, for me as a kid and, um, and just like that soft serve type of um, consistency and texture and everything. So, so that's, that's my, my favorite. And that's it for this episode of Neighborhood Nutritionist. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and I hope you've really enjoyed it and learned something you can take away with you today. If you could take a second to share this episode with one person you think will love it, that would be absolutely amazing. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening now. See you soon. Yeah.